My name is Panos. My name's Sebastian. Welcome to Curiosity. Welcome. So that little tidbit there, you know, should kind of tell you already what our episode's going to be about today. That was a, that was a little shout out. Uh, rest in peace to David Bowie. David Bowie and Freddie Mercury. And Freddie Mercury. Sadly, actually. they're both dead. Yeah. Uh, so today's episode, we're going to be talking about pressure. Pressure. Uh, so it came about, I was traveling to uh, Lebanon and I was sitting beside a... Uh, an air hostess mm-hmm. that was just telling me some was of the cute? F- she was cute uh, of course she um and she was just basically answering all the questions i had about planes and how yeah. how they work and kind of like you know do you do you need to wear over the head headphones or can you do that is this how you flirt uh <laughs> we don't talk about don't how i flirt that. <laughs> um so i came to sebastian i'm like okay let's do an episode on airplanes he's like no <laughs> That's generally my reaction to most of the ideas you throw at me initially. Well, you know, I, I got to sell it to you. Yeah. Anyways, uh, so he's like, okay, we won't do airplanes, but we'll do pressure. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk about pressure today and, and all the various different, uh, different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important uh, for, to start off to think of pressure as a unit um, and to understand kind of what history uh, the history of the units because th- there's there's like four different units for us for it there's the pascal the bar, the bar. um atmospheric pressure like atmosphere and and the mercury millimeters and, and millimeters it yeah. just it was so bizarre it's a bit confusing yeah so i figure we should start with a little bit of history yes let's um it starts with galileo cool yeah he didn't actually do anything oh <laughs> <laughs> uh he he was very important in okay. the sense where um there was a very important observation at the time and no one quite understood it okay and it was about wells so when you wanted your water evidently you go to the well and you pump it out Uh, but those pumps were kind of vacuum based and if the pump was 10 meters or so a little more than 11 meters above the water level okay they could never get it out and this was a very very well-known fact and uh, there's a gentleman who went to Galileo because he had a very similar problem where he had one body of water on one side of a hill and then he had another body of water on the other. And he had a siphon and he wanted to, you know, uh, siphon this water from one to the other. And he was able to successfully pump it from one side to the other. But once he let go of the pump, uh, the, the, uh, the water within the siphon at the top of the hill would go down on both sides. Hmm. And the height from the body of water to the top of the hill and where the, the, the water was lying was always about 10 meters. So there's kind of this consistency there. There's always this 10 meter mark. Yeah. And, um, and so the gentleman went to Galileo saying, well, what's going on? I don't, you know, explain this to me. And Galileo was very much in the favor of it being a vacuum-based thing. Okay. Um, and so to kind of put this uh, or conceptualize this, why would it be a vacuum-based? So there was a very important experiment that was performed and this is actually by uh, Torricelli who was uh, Galileo's apprentice and he solved the riddle and he did it this way so he did it with mercury so I just <laughs> from a, from a safety point I know like yeah, so adults p- have played with mercury that's yeah, what I hear frequently and so as I explain this experiment it's, it's going to get even worse so you're supposed to get a very long tube so it's about a, a meter long glass tube I think that thing's called a udiometer it, you're the chemist you know better than I do yeah and uh, you fill it up with mercury and you close you close the tip of it with your thumb. Mm-hmm. Okay. Don't do this at home, gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I say gentlemen because ladies would be far too smart to do this. <laughs> gentlemen, <laughs> gentlemen, don't put your thumb in mercury. 
and he inverted the very long tube and dumped it in a basin of mercury. Okay. Okay. And then he let go of his thumb. And what would happen was that some of the mercury inside the tube would fall yeah. inside the basin, but there would be a space at the top and everything would regulate itself and there would be a vacuum or there would be a, an empty space at the top of the tube. Okay. But the, the mercury wouldn't just completely drop out. It would just remain there. There was some kind of stability. And so this is the vacuum that Galileo was initially speaking of. So for those that are not unaware of what a vacuum is, a vacuum is basically a, an amount of space that is void of any molecules. Um, yeah. So we create these a lot in the sciences to, uh, to try and see what will happen if whatever you're trying to analyze is completely undisturbed. Mm -hmm. And so they thought that uh, before Torricelli, they thought, oh, this vacuum is, is sucking or is maintaining the mercury at the top. Yeah. That's what's holding it. That wasn't the case at all. And hmm. Torricelli wrote this very beautiful sentence uh, in the publication, which I will, I will soon explain to you. He says, we live submerged at the bottom of an ocean of the element air, by which unquestioned experiments is known to have weight, and so much, indeed, the near surface of the earth, where it is the most dense, it weighs, about 400 parts uh, of that of, of water. So, essentially, what he's saying is that everything around you has a pressure, and it's applying it to you. Hmm. Uh, now, you obviously, you know, you're sitting down wherever you are right now, you're, you got your feet up, uh, and you don't really feel anything, but that's because you have the inner fluids uh, within you are constantly applying an opposite pressure to the one you're feeling, you know, at sea level. Again, just for clarification, um, Sebastian has used fluid yeah. a couple times. Um, and fluid, it's really important. It's, a, it's an interesting distinction to make. Um, but whenever I think fluid, I think liquid. Mm -hmm. um, that's true. Whereas, yeah, generally so would I. Whereas in the case of uh, of physicists or, or anything we're talking about today uh fluids are actually considered gases and liquids yeah um so when you're talking about any pressure really and you're talking about fluid dynamics or mm -hmm. the, the study of fluids um it's both. it's both yeah um so yeah so Torricelli disproved everything and he did this with the exact same experiment so he took that very long tube okay that meter long tube and he added a bulge to the top of it so the bulge what i'm talking about you know the, the thermometers the classic thermometer with the the bulge at the top. Yep. And then it kind of explodes when the temperature gets. Anyway. Yeah. So this is the origin. And so he filled the the exact same tube all the way to the bottom, flipped it, let go of his thumb. And now, because there was an increased volume because of this bulge, this little spherical bulge, um, if it was vacuum-based, that means that the mercury should be higher up on the tube because there's a higher vacuum um, sucking it up. But it wasn't. It was exactly 73 centimeters up. Hmm. Exactly the same height as the other one. So it had nothing to do with vacuums. It had nothing to do with, um, yeah, with a vacuum. And so what he said was, well, it's actually the complete air around at the bottom of the basin or everywhere that's applying a pressure on the mercury from the hmm. outside keeping the mercury inside at a very specific height. So did they try this at different elevations then? Because that, uh, I would think that because if it's the atmosphere around and we know that like, you know, it's hyperbaric chambers and stuff like that, that, you know, you have to, ch if you change your elevation, you're going to change your air pressure. Absolutely. And so they did exactly that. So uh, this was followed by Pascal. Um, and he went up to the top of a mountain and did the exact same experiment. So he had the tube, the mercury, uh, inverted it, 
And what he noticed was that because the air pressure is lower, um, that the amount of mercury uh, was higher up in the tube. Cool. Yeah. So there was there was a difference, and 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 you could you know there's a gradient as you go up the mountain. It, it goes higher and higher and higher because there's uh, the, the force applied on that mercury uh, from below is uh, is less. So Pascal. Uh Blaise Pascal. Yeah, Blaise Pascal. Uh, is, again, one of these guys that's known for his units, uh, or for the units of pressure, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has, he's more famous, he, he did accomplish that experiment, but he's more famous for uh, Pascal's principle. Pascal's principle, okay. Uh, says, an, extre- uh, an external pressure applied to a confined fluid is transmitted undiminished throughout the entire fluid. Okay. What okay, that mean? so that means nothing to mm, most people. To me, um, but it's basically showing that uh, if you apply a pressure to one part of the fluid, that it's going to be transferred throughout the fluid. So the, the famous experiment that Pascal did was the barrel experiment. Okay. And basically what he did is he took an empty barrel. Mm-hmm. He cut a small 0.8 centimeter uh, hole in it. 0.8 centimeters? 0.8 centimeters. Okay, that's small. And, uh, and then got a three-story tube. Okay, that's very high. Very high. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says about 20 meters. And goes up and starts to fill the barrel with water. Okay. He fills it all the way to the top. And if you think of a barrel full of water, you know, the inside pressure and the outside pressure are about the same. Um, Regulate. It regulates itself. But what he notices as he was starting to fill up the tube, after having filled up the barrel, you fill up the tube itself. Mm -hmm. uh, He noticed that water started leaking out of the barrel. Okay. Um, which is bizarre because you would think with water retention, with um, surface tension of water, you'd be able to fill up the tube no problem. Yeah. And basically what, what he proved is that there is a, a pressure added due to the weight of the... Of the very thin tube. Of the very thin tube. The that water means. in the very thin tube. Right. Um, they joke that this actually exploded the barrel. Okay. Um, because mathematically, uh, the addition of 20 meters of water... Mm-hmm. Um, equates to about half a kilogram of water and that can actually increase the pressure the internal pressure over the barrel to uh to atmosphere so it can double the pressure inside the barrel okay so mathematically speaking if you could add all of that pressure at the same time you could explode the barrel right okay um i think that theoretical and experimental it probably was like it started to drip out yeah probably just yeah it popped a little yeah and this is really important this concept is really important for hydraulics as i was saying um, because if you think of uh, if you get a flat tire, right, and you need to change a tire, yeah, what do you use? The pump. A pump. Yeah. And you think about it, right? You you pump up a little bit, sure, and you're lifting thousands of pounds by just you know using a little That's bit of true, a pump, yeah. right? So basically, what it is is that if you in in adding a little bit of pressure, you can transfer that into um, into lifting something much heavier. Yeah, that, that was basically Pascal's uh, claim to fame is that he was able to show that that transfer of pressure yeah. uh, can occur and can actually uh, lift something heavier with not as much force. Force. Yeah, very cool. So that was Pascal. The last, uh, second last guy that we were, we were going to talk about is uh, Daniel Bernoulli. Ah, Bernoulli. Uh, so again, he, he's known for fluid mechanics, uh, statistics. Uh, but he has something called the Bernoulli principle. Ah, yes. Uh, I will first give a uh, warning. <laughs> I have asked probably about five physicists. I've watched an hour's worth of movies, uh, uh, YouTube videos. The Bernoulli principle is really, really difficult to explain, especially without visuals. We're going to give it a try. 
He's going to successfully do it, ladies and gentlemen. Don't worry about it. You're going to help me, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so the concept behind this is okay. if you have an increase of pressure, okay. you have a decrease of velocity. The opposite is also true. If you have an increase of velocity, you have a decrease of pressure. Okay. So this is actually really counterintuitive. So one of the experiments that you can see for Bernoulli's principle is you, you take two balloons and you put them near each other. Okay. And you actually make a stream of air in between the two of them. Okay. So you think of uh, the air that you're pushing forward mm -hmm. should actually push the balloons apart. Yeah, I would assume, right? Right. But as we have uh, have just said by Bernoulli's principle, the air speed that you're you're adding yeah. is actually making the air molecules in between the two balloons faster. faster. So you're decreasing the pressure. And so by decreasing the pressure, it does what? So as you, whenever you're thinking about pressurized anything, mm -hmm. you think that you go from high pressure to low pressure. Mm -hmm. So inside the balloon, you have higher pressure than the stream of air that is in between it, and the balloons will actually come close together. That's creepy. It is. It's actually really kind of bizarre because it, it's counterintuitive. Okay. Yeah. Um, what? Well, well, like, um, can that concept be applied to like like uh, like soccer balls or like when you you know when you do the Beckham's uh, curve? Yeah. Well, how does the ball? Does, is that the same concept? Does the ball spin? Obviously, you're adding a spin. Mm -hmm. um, but is Bernoulli's principle in effect there? It is to a certain extent. There is Bernoulli's principle and there's Magnus's principle. Oh, um, Magnus. Oh, yeah, Magnus. And, oh, and trying to, to distinguish the two of them, again, is one of these things that like physicists are debating. Okay. So I'm not going to get into that debate. But for, for a soccer ball, yes. So yeah. the way that I can try and explain it to you is uh, if you think of trying to kick a soccer ball okay. and you're trying to kick it to curve to the left. Sure. Right? So intuitively or, or through playing, through years yeah, of through playing. experience of, yeah, or watching uh, Ronaldo or Watching um, Ronaldo. Um, you actually give it a counterclockwise spin. Yeah. And that'll actually curve it around. Right. So why does it curve? So the idea being if you are kicking a ball, um, you're kicking it in a forward direction. Because you're kicking in a forward direction, you have air pressure going towards you. Yeah, you have a resistance. Yeah. A resistance of sort. Yeah. By spinning the ball, mm -hmm. you're giving, um, on the right side of the ball, you're giving a forward momentum. Okay. And on the left side of the ball, you're giving a backwards momentum. Sure. Just because of the spin. Right. And those are equal. Those are equal because it is rotating. It's, it's, it's a ball. Yeah, it's, it's a ball. You know. Sure. So what essentially you're doing, if you have the pressure, the air pressure coming towards you, yeah. then on the left side of the ball, you will have an increased speed. Okay. On the right side of the ball, mm -hmm. you'll have a decreased speed. Okay. Okay. So what you're saying is that increase in speed results in a decrease in pressure decrease in pressure and what we learned from the balloons is that we want to go from an increased pressure to decreased pressure so it's it veers towards that direction exactly hmm. um so again it's it's a really hard one to try and, and yeah, conceptualize yeah so you're just okay you're creating a, a low and a high pressure on either side of the ball and wherever the low pressure is it'll go that direction and it's really important to note that it would go to the left because you have a lot of pressure on one side. Okay. So a lot of force on one side mm -hmm. and a little bit of force on the other side. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be moving towards, like uh, they're going to cancel each other out to okay. a certain extent. Okay. And then we're going to go in the direction where the, the more powerful force okay, is. Okay, so this sounds like a very good explanation for lift. 
So yeah, so Bernoulli's principle can actually explain lift as well in airplanes and actually show you how we end up in the air somehow. Yeah, and you've you've definitely seen it already. So you know, you've you've been on the plane, you're you're on the window seat, um, and you you're looking out, beautiful skies, and if you're lucky enough to have seen the clouds pass by, you can visually see the the humidity or the air uh, just flying by the wing, right? And it's really, really beautiful, really nice, really very cool to see. But what you're seeing is Bernoulli's principle in effect. So the wing itself, if you ever looked at it, the lower part of it is very flat, okay? But the top part of it uh, has a bit of an angle, right? And so when it comes to the wind um, traveling from the front to the back of it, uh, it actually takes the same amount of time to do it. But the top of it is technically slightly longer, so it has to travel a further distance. So if it mm. does this, it does it. It has to do it faster. And what we learned was that when when uh, when wind is going faster, it has a lower pressure. So that would mean that below there's a higher pressure. Mm-hmm. So if there's a higher pressure below, a lower pressure above, then it's going to naturally lift. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's the um, the, the pressure at uh, at work lifting the entire plane. What's really impressive is the amount of weight it can lift. Anyway. Yeah, and uh, and we were talking to a physicist about this uh, because again, we talked to a lot of people trying to understand Bernoulli's principle. Yeah, um, I, I just want to sidebar and say that like most of it's Bernoulli's principle, but physicists are now going like maybe it's not maybe all something Bernoulli. else. Oh. But again, this is all hearsay. We do not know um, exactly how it works. So I think this is a, a good time to talk about planes. Yeah, sure. Um, and understanding kind of why they pressurize uh, the cabin. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Because as you go up higher and higher, mm-hmm. you're becoming less, there's less and less pressure around you. Sure. Um, so they have to pressurize the cabin because otherwise there will be a slew of uh, physiological effects. We're going to talk about them a little bit, little yeah, bit later. Yeah, a lot, lot of fun there. So wait, what, what happens when... You ever seen the movies? Is that is that a real thing where there's a hole in the in the in the structural integrity of the plane, and then people just get sucked out? So it, is it, that is that Bernoulli's principle? It's I Bernoulli's think? principle at work. Okay. Because you think about it, if you're gonna uh, try and ensure that the cabin inside the actual airplane itself is pressurized, because you don't want to you want to make it as if it's kind of like sea level. Right. So one one bar. One bar. Yeah. Um, and you want the outside. At the outside, we already said is uh, is low pressure. Yeah, you go from high pressure to low pressure. Yeah, um, the kind of the cool thing is that like, eventually it'll all equilibrate. Right. Because um, you you've opened up a hole in it, and eventually the outside pressure and the inside pressure will be the same. If you can breathe. <laughs> if you can breathe, right. uh, that's actually really interesting because um, to be able to pressurize, uh, sorry, pressurization becomes really important. Okay. At about uh, twelve thousand five hundred feet, and they do it gradually, of course. Okay. But if there is some sort of an emergency that happens at uh, anything above 10,000 feet, what will happen is the oxygen mask will come down. Yeah, I've done the safety videos a thousand times. Yeah. Uh, and Ignore your child. <laughs> Save yourself first. Yeah, and that's, um, and that's to give you enough oxygen because there's not enough oxygen in there. Okay. And also because they need to get enough time to go down to 8,000 okay. uh, 8, feet. Even if there was a hole or whatnot, you could, there's the, the atmosphere is... Well, basically, you're not, level to, uh, you're not going to have any of the physiological effects okay, of okay. having low pressure, uh, okay, gotcha. uh, which I thought was really, you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, they get the compressed air uh, from the turbine engine. Um, oh, so, they, yeah. so they extract the compress- compressor stage of, oh. from the gas 
turbine engine. That's cool. Um, and as I said, they do it gradually. Okay. Uh, but how, if you think of trying to increase pressure gradually, you would need some sort of a, some sort of a, a bleed or like some sort of way to kind of equalize the pressure of the outside of the inside gradually. Sure. Yeah. Have you ever noticed the little holes in, uh, in windows? holes in windows so if you're Maybe. looking if you're going if you're looking outside a window yeah yeah at the bottom? right at the bottom there's a little hole uh, yeah okay yeah yeah and uh and it turns out that that's called a breather hole or a bleed hole and it serves as a um kind of a, a difference between the inner and outer pane uh to equilibrate the pressure the inner outer which inner and outer pane so if you think of of, of a window in an airplane sure you can almost always see that there's like, like two or three windows yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah yeah so um they increase the pressure inside the cabin okay and they use that bleeder hole in all of the um oh. in all of the the seats in all okay. of the windows to be able to equilibrate the pressure in between the two cool so not only when when they say having the um the window sign up mm-hmm. when they're taking off and, and landing it doesn't only serve the purpose from an emergency point of view, okay. but also y- if you bring the thing down, then you're blocking the hole. That's amazing. Okay. Um, so the hole actually serves a purpose. And that was one of the facts that I learned from the, the air hostess. I was like, this has got to be bull. Like, yeah. y- th- no, okay. she's like, she didn't explain it exactly like this, but yeah, she's right, like, okay. it serves a purpose for pressure, okay. uh, which Very I thought cool. was really interesting. And also aesthetically, it's kind of cool. I don't know if you've ever been, uh, the little hole, the little hole. Okay. Um, because if you look at it enough, you, um, at times what you'll see is uh the hole actually has crystals and stuff around it because of the moisture that's oh. inside and it's just it's pretty very cool very calm um so we were talking about what can happen if uh if if you don't have enough pressure sure in the body and i know there's i know you're going to talk about a couple that happen when you're underwater yeah uh, the ones stuff. that i have um based on uh going up in the sky uh, it's something called barrow trauma. In the sky, yeah, go ahead. Uh, barrow trauma. Barrow. Barrow trauma. Okay. What's um, there? It's basically gas trapped in the body. Um, okay. Expanding or contracting, okay. um, and you can know this usually with uh, the middle ear. Uh, so with whenever you with your eardrum. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get so, that all the time. Yeah. Uh, so the eustachian tube is basically the tube that's uh, able to able to equilibrate. Um, the gas in and outside of the ear okay it's through that tube there um and if you are unable to actually equilibrate your your ear mm-hmm. um that's when your ears pop Ooh. or not ears pop but like that's yeah, that, that, pressure, that, that pressure that pressure that ear yeah. pressure uh okay. which i thought you know painful it's, it's kind of painful yeah. um is there something like barotrauma there is it's called the bends the bends and, but I'll, i mean i'll get to it but okay uh, yeah uh so very very, very similar uh, so yeah, so if you were curious, if you're on the plane listening to this somehow yeah. magically, um, there's a couple ways that you can try and fix it. Okay. Uh, there is holding your nose, right, um, and blowing, right. but like be really careful when you do that. I've heard horror stories of that, right? Can't yeah, you, like, you can either pop your eardrum or is there anything? How you bad can, can you, get, you yeah? can pop your eardrum if you do it uh, hard enough. Oh Jesus! Um, apparently, just tilting your head. And to the left and the right and just like opening up the tube a little bit. Because basically mm-hmm. what you're doing is you have uh, a lot of pressure inside mm-hmm. inside your ear. Okay. And you need to equilibrate it with the outside. Okay. So it's kind of like you're just trying to like open a little valve a little bit so you can release some of the pressure. <laughs> okay. Um, so like tilting your head. It's actually not scientifically proven. But do it anyway. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Uh, they say tilt your head to the right, to your chin, chin touches, to the left. Swallow hard. 
Um, and and this is actually more to do with like the opening of the jaw. Okay. A little bit because uh, the eustachian tube's right near the jawbone. Okay. Uh, and continue doing it until it works. I feel like we should make something up just so that people would try. <laughs> uh, place your uh, ankles above your head. Shake wildly while singing under pressure. <laughs> I hear that works. Yeah. Such uh, another disease that can can occur is uh, hypoxia. Hypoxia, okay. Uh, and it is a decrease of oxygen tension in the lungs and subsequently in the brain. Um, okay. So because of the high or the low pressure, you're not able to actually bring enough oxygen into your lungs. Okay. And because you can't get enough oxygen into your lungs, you can't get it into your body, mm-hmm. and ultimately you might end up sluggish, uh, dim vision, loss of consciousness, and death. Which is interesting because this is so. Um World athletes will train up in the mountains for exactly this specific reason. Mm-hmm. So because the oxygen, so the atmosphere is so thin, the oxygen as you consume it uh, is is harder to come by. You're actually training your body to require less of it. Um, and then when you get back to sea level, you've got like this hyper oxygen consumption uh, lung capacity. Uh, and then, well, then you win the Tour de France, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one that we have is uh, decompression sickness. Okay. Um, but this one, I think, is more found underwater. Yes. Um, due to nitrogen gas in the bloodstream. Yeah, yeah. So underwater. Underwater is a very interesting world to be in, uh, in terms of pressure. So to put it very simply, as you... Um, okay, so let's say you're, you're just above... You're at the beach, okay? Mm-hmm. You're at the beach, you're sitting on the sand, you're enjoying yourself. Uh, at that point, you have one bar, one atmospheric pressure, and that's 14.5 pounds per square inch. Okay. Okay. And so you don't really feel much at that point. But as you go down in the water, every 10 meters, okay, so we're coming back to that 10 meter thing. It's a magical number. It's a magical number. Every 10 meters you go down, the pressure increases by 14.5 pounds per square inch, PSI. Hmm. So you're doubling the pressure applied on your body every 10 meters you go down. So you probably already felt this in your pool. You know, uh, you may have a pool in the backyard or you've gone to a public pool um, and you've gone down to the deep end, which is probably only about, I don't know, three or four meters. Naughty. Uh, the deep end, yeah, probably about three to five meters. Yeah, somewhere something in there. like five meters. And already at that point, you may have felt your eardrums starting to push. I know I'm very sensitive about this. I don't know about you, Benos. Um, no, you're all right, but uh, my my ears get very sensitive, and I can feel the pressure uh, against my uh, against my ears. And so, so if you were to imagine now, that, for instance, at the deepest point in the ocean, the pressure uh, is essentially equivalent to there's they have two comparisons here: is the weight of an elephant balanced on a postage stamp. <laughs> Okay, or the equivalent of one person trying to support 50 jumbo jets. Oh, yeah, that's totally possible. Right? Uh, so you have incredible amounts of pressure uh, as you go down. Uh, and I found a very interesting note about, well, obviously you have whales that are capable of withstanding this type of pressure. They're very, very, very low. Yeah. And so they have, um, they have flexible bodies. So apparently their ribs are bound by loose, bendable cartilage. Um, and if, if you're not familiar with cartilage, cartilage, uh, for, you know, any of our older listeners, uh, you probably don't have any left in your knees. <laughs> it's the first thing that's to go. Or when you have between any kind of major joints, you have this collagenous, which is the collagen or the, um, 
the cartilage, between those bones. And it helps with movement. It helps soften and cushion the impacts of most of your falls. And uh, there's a lot of cartilage in the ear. Uh, yeah, right. So, so if you're thinking of something like uh, you can just play with your ear a little bit Th- through this podcast, we're just gonna have people doing such weird things. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you know, when you think of cartilage, yeah. the ear is usually what sure. I think of. And uh, so, so between, so their ribs are bound by loose, bendable cartilage, which allows the rib cage to collapse uh, at pressures that would normally snap regular bones. So they're actually absorbing the outside pressure via this bending of of their um, their cartilage. And they're able to swim at 2.1 kilometers, uh, and that's about 200 bars. 200 bars is insane. Remember, we're only doing normally one bar. Yeah. You go every 10 meters, it's an additional bar. So at you know 10 meters below, you're two bars. They can withstand 200 bars. That is nuts. It's uh, absolutely insane. So, so yeah. So um, in terms of of, of trying to uh, withstand that kind of pressure below, we've invented certain vehicles for this uh, evidently submarines everyone's seen movies they've you know world war ii was uh was a huge advancement for this we all live on a yellow submarine yellow submarine um so in world war ii the german u-boats had uh, roughly a collapsed depth of 200 to 300 meters okay uh, so you're talking about 30 bars, so 30 times the amount of pressure you're normally used to. Hmm. And the more modern ones go up to about 500, so 50 bars. Uh, these are incredible amounts of pressure. Apparently, they're not quite necessarily out yet, but apparently China has uh, has one ready. It has a ready submersible, ready to go 7,000 meters, so 7 kilometers down. I feel like that's not something I would want to be the first one to try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would send a monkey down first. Yeah. Uh, poor monkey. Uh, as long as it's not a dog. <laughs> I feel like dogs... Send through. a cat down and then, yeah, no. <laughs> and then put it on Facebook and see the yeah. outcry. For people that uh, don't get that joke, if you listen to our previous episodes... Uh, oh, in, yeah, the dog. Yeah, in, in our vitamins episode, it seemed like every example that we had for vitamins like, killed the dog kill somehow. Kill the dog. Figure it out. Yeah. If there's something horrible to be done... <laughs> Do it on a dog. Yeah. Uh, no, don't send a dog. Don't send a monkey. Don't send a cat. I don't know. Send a computer down there or something. Uh, anyway, so 7,000 meters. That's nuts. 700 and, bar. And Yeah, 700 bar. And if they can do this, they'll obviously own the, the record for the deepest, uh, uh, deepest uh, dive. Um, so anyway, so when it comes to the effects, um, most people that have ever scuba dived... Uh, would probably have have felt these effects. So mm-hmm. scuba diving, which I actually didn't know, stood for self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. Hmm. I didn't know that. Um, so that's so scuba diving. Once you start going down, um, you start to feel the effects naturally. So again, for every ten meters you go down, you start to feel uh, twice the amount of pressure. Okay. Okay. And um, and so there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. So I have a little, uh, a few small anecdotes of some deep sea divers uh, that were taking, you know, rookies down to the, down the ocean, and apparently, so here, here's here's a few examples. Um, I I once marveled at the huge, huge size of a butterfly fish, and made sure to smile and wink at it so it would know that I was friendly. <laughs> so the reason he was doing this is because he's undergoing effects of narcosis so <laughs> nitrogen narcosis so 
recall that um, as you go down, the pressure increases a hell of a lot. Yeah. And so, for instance, let's just say at uh, 10 meters down, twice the pressure, when it comes to breathing in the oxygen tanks, the oxygen that's going into your mouth has now been compressed twice as much. Right, so you have to consume twice as much oxygen as you normally would if you were at sea level. Mm. But these tanks, and in fact, and generally, at, at when you're outside or wherever you are right now, the majority of the gas you're actually breathing in is nitrogen. So uh, that's seventy or seventy-nine percent. Seventy-nine percent nitrogen. Twenty percent oxygen. Is it twenty? I thought it was like four. I mean, maybe no, it's twenty percent yeah. oxygen, 20% and oxygen. then the one percent remaining is like other. is other. Yeah, methane. Anyway, yeah, that was a fart joke. Um, so. <laughs> Um, uh, so yeah, so because this gas is being compressed twice as much, you're having to breathe twice as much in, but as a result, you're consuming or breathing in twice as much nitrogen. Mm -hmm. If you go 30 meters down, three times as much, 40 meters down, four times as much. Okay. And these high levels of nitrogen, uh, can be dangerous. Um, and, and so you start getting effects of narcosis. And so I've got, so this is one of the examples, and that was like a very light, light example, which is really, you know, that's kind of like a pleasant, uh, a pleasant effect. There's another one um, that uh, he, there once was a guy who thought he was Superman, <laughs> and he tried to climb a wreck, but uh, didn't remember it later. He also tried to give a regulator to the fish. So he took out his mouthpiece and started trying to give oxygen to the fish. Well, you got to make sure that the fish can breathe. <laughs> yeah, you know, so anyway, so um, so at 10, so the, the, essentially the, the very um, regulated effects uh, as you go deeper, at around 10 meters, so twice the pressure, you really don't get that many symptoms. It's, it's really not that bad. At about three times or four times the pressure, you get mild impairment. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, you can't impaired vision or sorry, impaired reasoning, mild euphoria. So at this point, you're feeling a little drunk and they actually have scuba divers have uh, this little little thing they have among themselves called the martini law. And apparently for every 10 meters they go down, it's the equivalent of the consumption of a martini. Hmm. Okay, so well, okay, Sebastian. Yeah, shaking or stirred. Ah, gin or vodka. I, I like uh, mojitos. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking martinis here. Yeah, not I, I'm sorry, I'm not that classy. Um, so yeah, so for every ten meters you go down, the effects of narcosis affects you as if you were to consu have consumed another shot, or sorry, another shot, another drink of of martini. So uh, at about thirty to fifty. You have uh, delayed visual responses, auditory stimuli, so you're kind of, you don't know what's really you know, hearing or seeing, uh, calculation errors. So then that's when you start making mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause Things that, what? that you would have, you know, if you're looking at someone do it, you're saying, what are you thinking? This is stupid. But in that state, you're not quite there. And this is really important because you do have to constantly be monitoring how much um, of each gas that you receive because those cylinders in the back, they aren't just compressed air. Um, the the cylinders that they have have to compensate for the the fact that you're ingesting more air. Yeah. So as you're going down, you do have to do a bunch of calculations to make sure that you're still within the range to keep on breathing. Right. Um, you also get overconfident and in a sense of well-being. This is literally, my, you know, it's your Friday night. Um, <laughs> my Friday night. At 50 to 70, okay, so meters. So we're talking about five to seven times the pressure. Sleepiness. Confusion, hallucinations. Hmm. Okay, and in some cases, terror. 
so, and then 70 to 90, I mean, at this point, you're losing memory, uh, poor concentration, and by 90 plus, you're guaranteed like a trip to to the heavens. Uh, it's you're That's really, a really nice having, way of saying that. Yeah, you're having hallucinations, and above that, it's it's not even uh, it's uh, many have tried and have died uh, mm-hmm. because of that, and so the, because of all this. When you go back up, every time you you know once you've you've had your little your uh, your trip down in the ocean, every ten meters they have what's called a decompression stop. Mm-hmm. So what this does is it allows the gases in your body to regulate, because uh, nitrogen uh, narcosis. What happens, and and this is what we we're talking about the bends as well. Yeah. Remember that because you're at such high pressure is below if you rise too quickly then the lower pressure will result in the volume of the air to expand and this is Boyle's law yeah so uh, Boyle's law is very simple it says the pressure and volume of a gas have an inverse relationship okay so the higher the pressure the lower the gas the lower the pressure the higher the gas or the higher the volume so you know you're 50 meters deep you've got X amount of oxygen in your in your blood. Same with nitrogen. As you go up, that if you go up too quickly, that nitrogen starts to expand. Hmm. And in the bends, that's actually an aching pain because it's the oxygen in your blood and in your joints that's oh. now expanding. Huh. Yeah, can you imagine this kind of? I know I can't even fathom what it would be like. Yeah, you literally, you're you're. You're ex- you're exploding from within, yeah. really, really. And if yeah. you were to if you were to do it very suddenly, you know, if you were to to um, to, to raise from ninety meters to the sea level within a few seconds, you would probably just combust. <laughs> yeah, you you would um, explode. Which is really interesting. Something I found what happens to fish. So apparently, when you're fishing, there, you know, if you're if you're uh, catching certain fish from very you know low yeah the uh, lower levels, you go yeah. If you reel him in extremely quickly, uh, you'll notice that his eyes will actually be able to pop out huh. because of the increased pressure inside. And they pop out, and his stomach actually comes out of his mouth. Weird. Yeah, because of because of the sudden shift, right? Weird. And uh, and evidently, to bring him back down, you put him in the water and you let him kind of, you know, it takes time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so narcosis is involved with nitrogen. And you also get the bends, which is just this, this terribly unpleasant feeling. It doesn't sound very good. It's, it's, not, it's not cool. So, um, and so I found uh, this really cool thing, uh, which it's not, cost, it's not being used uh, on a military scale or whatever, but it was in the movie The Abyss. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen this movie. This movie was, a, it was great. It's 1989, Ed Harris. Um, and it was about people that were i don't think there was scientific data or no they were oil drilling or whatnot but they were very 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 far below uh in a submersible in the ocean and um a whole bunch of things happen yada 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 there's a nuclear bomb that's about to go off of course in the abyss of the ocean and it's it's probably near the seven thousand meter mark. I can't remember exactly, but it's very 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 low. And if you ever ever anyone tried, they would just decomp like they would just it would be compressed into this little nugget. But the Chinese will do it. But the Chinese, well, leave it to the Chinese; they'll do anything. Um, and so, what they used was liquid oxygen. Okay, and I actually saw a podcast on this, or not you? not a podcast on it. Um, David Blaine. 
David he's, Blaine. Okay, David yeah, Blaine. Yeah. He's, the, a, uh, he's a the magician, uh, magician, illusionist. He's an illusionist. Crazy. Whoever, yeah. yeah. Um, and he was looking into uh, over oxygenating liquid, over oxygenated liquids. Okay. And again, it's, it's exactly that. Um, yeah, he did that that stunt where he was breathing underwater for, or sorry, he held his breath underwater for for seventeen, 17 minutes. minutes. I want to say, yeah. Um, and and yeah, and the idea being, all you need to do is get oxygen into your body. Mm-hmm. We talk about fluids. Fluids can be liquid or right. gas. Right. Right. So in theory, if you can put an, an over oxygenated fluid into your lungs, yep. you can get oxygen into your body. Well, it's called perfluorocarbon, and that's uh, they've they've dis- not only discovered it, but they've tried it on mice. It wasn't a dog this time, <laughs> uh, and it was done. So it was done because of the war, yeah. uh, during the Cold War. The uh, and the U.S. The, so the um, the U.S. needed a way to increase the escape depth of numerous submarines, and it was looking to you know to to go further down. And so in 1962, they discovered this perfluorocarbon, and they tried it on mice. Mm-hmm. So you you see, I think there's a video of this actually, where you see the mice consuming uh, the the perfluorocarbon, and it was allowing him to uh, sustain pressures of 160 bars. Wow! So we're talking 1.6 kilometers depth. However. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Uh, the mice died very quickly after doing it, uh, but that's because of apparently respiratory acidosis. Acidosis, so carbon dioxide poisoning. Yeah. Okay. So he died, but but the objective of trying to maintain and equilibrate that pressure that's constantly, you know, yeah, was successful. So I think I'd be remiss to not talk about blood pressure yeah, at all. Blood pressure. Um, I think that like the body can do some really cool things, um, and blood pressure is one of those ones that uh, I. I feel like it's one of those things that like, okay, yeah, 120 over 80. What the hell does that even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So there's two numbers. Uh, It's the systolic pressure Mm -hmm. uh, over the diastolic pressure. Right. So systolic pressure is a pressure in the arteries when the heart beats. Diastolic is when the arteries uh, in between the beats. Um, So when the heart muscle is resting between beats and refilling with blood. Uh, Like I said, an average or a a good uh, blood pressure is 120 over 80. Uh, and this is actually to determine your systemic pulse pressure, uh, which gives you an idea of what your stroke volume is, not a volume of uh, <laughs> um, to understand how much blood uh, is actually being pumped through your body. Okay. Uh, which is really important because again, you need blood to live. Um, <laughs> thanks, Spanos. Thanks, you know. Um, but you can see that if you have uh, either of the numbers, particularly low or high, that you're going to have. Uh, uh, effects on the body. If you have low blood pressure, I've known people to be very faint and very um, low energy because they can't get all of the proper oxygen that they need to the body. Okay. Um, if you have too much pressure, um, this is usually due to uh, the hardening of the arteries. You can have hypertension. You can have blowing out of arteries. And, and really, if you can't, if you're putting too much Aneurysms. pressure, aneurysms and, and, and strokes because you're not able to actually get enough blood to the area but your your body's working really hard to get it to that area so yeah so when you're thinking of high blood pressure mm-hmm. it's a couple ways that you're able to actually mitigate high blood pressure so eat a better diet yeah you know there's all the, the regular rules of life yeah you know not as much salt yeah don't go to, to mcdonald's as often unless they become a sponsor in that case <laughs> but uh enjoy you know regular physical activity 
get out there, get off your butt, yeah, get off the couch. A little running around would help. Healthy weight. So yeah, you, you can do a BMI. The BMI is is a decent scale and manage stress. Uh, the one of the ones that I found that was interesting. Also, like any vices that you do are not good for your blood pressure. Um, smoking tobacco. Wow. drinking okay um you know if you're you're on medication to comply with the medication well what about like a glass of wine a day uh, that's away. another podcast right, okay. um but the funniest one from the uh the american heart association i think that's where i got this information was understand hot tub safety <laughs> so, what does that mean i know but like, like that was the tab I was like understand hot tub safety i was like um, okay. So the heat from hot tubs and saunas uh, cause blood vessels to open up. Right. So um, lowers the blood pressure. Called vasodilation. Vasodilation. Uh, it also happens during regular activities like brisk walks. Okay. Um, but if you are uh, going from like hot to cold too much, you're expanding and contracting your, your blood vessels a little bit too much and that's really not good for it. Right. So we didn't always know how to measure blood pressure. Right. Bernoulli did some uh, dis- did some work on it, um, but Stephen Hales in seventeen seventeen thirty three has has uh, kind of a gruesome uh, way of going about it. So um, I'll read him verbatim. Right. I caused a mare to be tied down alive on her back. Had a fistula of her withers was neither lean nor yet lusty. Have laid open the left crural artery about three inches from her belly. Inserted into it a brass pipe of one-sixth of an inch of diameter and basically watched at, at what rate the blood pressure was. Um, so basically... <laughs> so what did he do? <laughs> he, took, he shoved a brass pipe into her... Uh, into her artery. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, and basically just saw how, how it worked, uh, which is kind of disgusting. All right. Sometimes you just got to get it done, you know? In 1905, N.C. Korotkov... Russian surgeon found a way to not stab people to find their blood pressure. That's a good thing. Uh, and basically what he did is he placed a stethoscope over the brachial artery and had a person, had the cuff on the person. And as he released uh, the pressure of the cuff, he would be tapping the cuff as it was deflated, causing the blood to flow back into the artery. Okay. Um, so by doing that, he was able to actually see the blood pressure or hear the blood pressure and, and see if the blood pressure was in good form. Um, so it was is from Korotkov's communications that we have the common cuff that we have today. <laughs> but the thing that I found really interesting is that he communicated the discovery of this method okay. in a brief paper, 207 words long. That's amazing. <laughs> that's an abstract and a half. That's, that's just, yeah, that's a nothing. Paragraph. Yeah. Uh, like so boom. yeah, so he was able to Walk basically away. revolutionize blood pressure in two hundred and seventy-one uh, words. Two hundred and seven. Sorry, two hundred and seven. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. That's enough. Which is just absolutely ridiculous. Hmm. Uh, so that's pretty much it for us for pressure. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking about uh, oh the history. Yeah. The uh, the the weird uh, uses of mercury. Fun fact: uh, mercury is one of the only elements that is liquid at room temperature. It may be the only one. Cool. Um, so they really didn't have any choices. It was either water or mercury. Right. Uh, and mercury is uh, about 10 times heavier than water. Right. Um, so that's what allows you to have mercury thermometers uh, so small. Cool. And not have three-story things. Uh, so we talked about airplanes, pressurization. Subs. Submarines. Um, narcosis when going scuba diving. You know, make sure to exhale as you go up because if you don't, your lungs will explode because of... 
uh, Boyle's Law. Thanks, Boyle. Thanks, Boyle. Um, and finally, a little bit on uh, on some blood pressure uh, and and what those numbers really mean. I want to give a big thank you to CHUO for letting us use their space. Thank uh, And you can find us on the Twitter. on the Twitter. Yes. At curiosity underscore pod. Gmail. Uh, curiosity.pod at gmail.com and I'm on so, iTunes. I'm so glad you know these so well. Well, I, <laughs> you just throw them out I there just, yeah. and I'm just like, uh, do I remember it this time? Do yeah. I remember the right one? You got it. Um, you can find us on iTunes. Yes. You can find us on our blog. Absolutely. Uh, curiositypod.wordpress.com. We're everywhere. We're oh everywhere. God, we're everywhere. Um, but most importantly, if you like what you're hearing, rate us five stars. Rate us five stars and leave a little comment. Yes. You know, we're, we're always looking to just say hi. Just put a smiley face. Yeah. An emoticon. Yeah, you can leave us uh, Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year, the emoticon. The emoticon? Yeah, it's the emoticon of like the crying face. That's a word? That's Well, it's apparently the word of the year. That's ridiculous. Uh, I think we're going back to the hieroglyphs. Like, <laughs> we're totally going back to hieroglyphics. It's <laughs> like we can't even talk with words anymore. Soon it'll just be birds and men looking to the side. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is Panos signing off. This is Sebastian signing off. Have a good night.